breaking news, Ribbit. The iFrogo 5 freeway is backed up for miles, Ribbit. If only there was another way to get around the pond that is Portland, Ribbit, Ribbit, Ribbit. You're listening to Portland Radio Project 99.1 FM, and this is Greater Greater Portland. I'm your host, Xavier D. Stickler. And I'm your second host, Jenna Demmel. And I'm host number three, Bradley Bondi. And today we're going to talk about the Frog Ferry Proposal. For those of you who are listening and don't know, that is the idea to bring uh, a foot ferry, or you may also kind of know it as a water taxi, uh, to the Willamette and Columbia Rivers in Portland. So this has been a proposal that has existed in the public sphere for a few years now. And I want to get both of your initial impressions without looking out, like without looking at the show rundown notes. I just want to go right now. What are your impressions? A ferry in Portland kind of sounds kind of dumb because we have a lot of bridges. <laughs> like I, I, I don't see why we would need a ferry. Yeah, Bradley coming out with being like, just this is dumb. And I mean, <laughs> me on the other end, I'm like, I'm, I'm skeptical that it could work because yeah, we have bridges. Yeah, we have like boats all over the dang place. So, uh, I don't know. And then also like, in my experience with ferries, specifically like Washington ferries from the mainland to like the islands and whatever, they take such a long time. To get from not only point A to point B, but also like load everybody up. Mm-hmm. So that's one factor I'm imagining where it's I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to be like, yeah, let's go for it. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the transportation community in Portland is, and definitely where I was. But I'm gonna be like disclose up front that I am now like full send a huge frog ferry supporter. Ooh, give okay. us give us okay. Yeah. Someone got slipped a few hundred dollar bills. No. Actually. <laughs> if only. I wish. Yeah, Frog Ferry, not a sponsor of JGP, by the way. So basically every bridge in Portland proper at one point was a ferry. The Morrison, there was a, you know, a Stark Ferry. The Selwood used to be a ferry. And a lot of our roads, you'll know, just are named, you know, it's Shoals Ferry. It's because a guy named Shoal had a ferry. And a guy Boone named Taylor Street. and a guy named Boone's. And Boone. now yeah, they're exactly. now they're like ferry roads, though. But yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. And and then in 1837, Charles W. Bridge invented the bridge. And then we never needed ferries. <laughs> <laughs> like when you add a name like Charles and an initial. Like, yeah, that's probably mildly credible. Nope. <laughs> Had it been like Bridges, I would have maybe believed you. But no. yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so, no. Yeah. A lot of. The bridges you see now crossing what I think a lot of people who live in the Pacific Northwest would consider to be a fairly short span used to be ferries and they were all like essentially vehicle ferries or before that sometimes they would even be like rail ferries, ferries that were capable of hauling train cars around, carts, things of that nature. So we actually have quite a bit of a well-rounded history of ferries, which I take quite a bit of pride in being a fairy myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, the re- <laughs> <laughs> laughing break for this. <laughs> but the, um, the reason that I think um, our history of, of fairies is fairly important to bring into the discussion now is that, you know, all the different 
you know, kind of town centers, municipalities, and destinations of interest in Portland grew around the river. It's kind of like, you know, how rail lines still run through the center of towns today, because the towns often grew up and around the rail line. And we're dealing with a similar situation here, which is why I think, as you're going to see, a connection between all these waterfront destinations actually makes a good deal of sense. So next, I'm going to get us into the origins of the idea. It was brought up by somebody named Susan Gladholm, and... Um, Susan worked in helicopter stuff. Uh, so she's up in the helicopter, and she's like, damn, I wonder why we don't have a ferry. And she spoke to her, like, tugboat friend, and her tugboat friend was like, damn, you do be right. And they basically went around to all the different captains and did quite a bit of study, and it turned out that it was very eminently feasible... And basically just like a lack of civic leadership kind of led it to not be super taken seriously. But they've continued to study it and push for it and realized like, wow, this is actually a much better idea than we thought it was going to be. Like now into the big stuff, where does it stop? Let's get into exactly what's being proposed. The idea behind this is, you know, a, a full build-out. So a full build-out would include Vancouver. The next stop would be St. John's Cathedral Park area along the city-owned dock that is currently there. Going down and would then stop probably at the, like, the marina at the Rose Quarter there, the, the dock there. It would dock south of where the portland spirit currently does it would have its own dock for accessibility reasons but it would be right in front of the salmon streets fountain after that it would go to river place omsi probably somewhere in the south waterfront area the exact station is still kind of being assessed as to where it would be where it'd be like right by tilcom crossing maybe under the ross island bridge connecting to the park that's going to go in under there perhaps in front of the Portland Aerial Tram. That area, the Zydel Yards master plan, is still kind of being developed, so that's very much in flux, but somewhere around there. Even beyond that, the plan is for eventually to have service south of Portland going down to Milwaukee, connecting to Lake Oswego, and then finally Oregon City. There are also opportunities to expand it even further for the last several years, it's kind of been a back burner priority of the legislature to reopen the locks at the Oregon City Falls. Eventually, those will be reopened. Then a connection to West Lynn could be made. The thing about it being, you know, on the river is that you can kind of go wherever the river goes. So this could eventually one day even be going as far as St. Helens. Hmm. Some of those station locations make quite a bit of sense, right? In downtown, you have a lot around a stop at, like, the waterfront. You have the central business district right there. But what strikes me is that many of those other stations are kind of far away from anything. Well, certainly Lake Oswego. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Lake Oswego, a couple years back, the Foothills area, which is the portion of Lake Oswego that's right on the river... That was going to be redeveloped as kind of based around an extension of the streetcar. The streetcar, of course, in order to get to Lake Oswego, was proposed to go through to Dunthorpe, which I'm sure you can 
imagine how well that was received. So that got killed. So the Lake Oswego one is a bit far. And the Cathedral Park one is a fair ways a bit down the hill from St. John's. Now, the solution there in talking with Susan and the Frog Fairy team is basically, we'll get into a little bit more of this in a minute, but the hope is to reduce as much driving as possible, right? This is a getting people out of cars solution. And one of the things that I have been discussed with some transit planners who, you know, are just kind of dipping their feet into this was a concern about what's called a hide and ride rather than park and ride, which is where you kind of like park in the neighborhood off a max line then you kind of walk to the station which is something that's super common on the orange super common on the yellow and the way to do that would be to kind of have in the case of st john's a circulating shuttle that would go up around the st john's neighborhood down to the park and that's something that for many years st john's has been asking for mm -hmm. um for the city unrelated to frog ferry simply because St. John's has a lot of terrain to it, right? There's some pretty steep elevation changes, and they also have quite a bit of development happening in that part of town. So to kind of make it more accessible for people, that would be the vision there. And of course, in the case of Frog Ferry, it would kind of link up with the departures at the dock. Speaking of departures and tying that into arrivals, is there an estimate on like if you were to take like a round trip or something like that going from north to all the way south to all the way back again, and then um, what would that time be? And then also, are there multiple ferries running at once? What's the interval in between that? I'm curious about that. The eventual format of all the different stops and which ferry would go to which stop in what order and time can be highly flexible. And that's the thing that I've actually has kind of really endeared me to this proposal is how modular and how flexible it can be. So to me, what stands out uh, about this proposal, the, the first part of this was, which is essentially the pilot, right? Um, Frog Ferry is kind of, in, uh, the, the grand vision is to have a fleet of um, over a half dozen boats, uh, but just to start, they'd be working with one and just doing a small segment between Cathedral Park and River Place, two already existing docks owned by the city. Um, and that would be a 25-minute transit time, then five-minute dwell time, and then it'd turn around, so it'd be leaving from each location hourly, and so it's kind of like a 30-minute down, 30 minutes up, and that would be run for a few years. Now, that's obviously like not great service as we've talked about a little bit more on this show like hourly service in transit is not ideal nope. of course this is just for a pilot what strikes me about this though is the transit time we're looking at 25 minutes from cathedral park to downtown without cheating bradley without looking it up on google maps how long does it take people currently on transit to get from st john's to downtown Wild guess. Probably about an hour. Yes. The quickest you can do it is 55 minutes. Hmm. Now, I do have to question, though. If you're taking the... What's the bus line that goes from St. John's to downtown? There are actually a couple. There's a couple, right? Both, you have buses that get into the heart of downtown directly. That you don't have to either transfer onto 
or walk like half an hour to get to like you would with the ferry. It's the difference between, you know, NATO Parkway, which is where like Salmon Street would dump you out at in Sixth Avenue, right? That's six blocks. That's not going to take you a half an hour. I'm um, talking more about in St. John's itself, right? The buses St. John's go itself, through the yes. heart of St. John's. They go down Lombard and... I don't, I'm not familiar with the bus routes in St. John's. It's the opposite end of Portland from me. But you'll have a bus get much closer to your home in all likelihood than the ferry ever would be. Well, again, I think that's kind of where this circulating shuttle is going to come in in St. John's. But again, we're going to have other locations where it gets you kind of even closer than a bus would. In the case of like OMSI, it's going to be dropping you off kind of like essentially in the lobby of OMSI rather than, you know, a block and a half up from where the OMSI max station is. Kind of a negligible difference. We're talking about a stop, like, right in front of the Portland Aerial Tram, whereas, like, South Moody, that max station and transit station is, <laughs> like, about, a, what, a 10-minute walk? That's a pretty poorly placed station, ain't it? Yeah, so, you know, you're never going to get, like, a transit service that necessarily is always going to drop you off right in front of prime destinations. Mm. But to, you know, go up looking at the Vancouver one, the Vancouver one is uh, going to be using the dock that is right on the fantastic Vancouver waterfront. And as we know, Bradley has very strong opinions about the Vancouver waterfront. Oh, absolutely. It pains me to say this uh, as a proud Portlander, but... Vancouver, Washington has a much better waterfront than us. Yeah, I can believe you it. You are a traitor. You are both traitors for saying that. You will have to face trial. But at the same time, I agree. You have to face trial as well. We're all on trial together. It's just, yeah. it's, we, we go down together. Now, that does also bring up kind of another concern when it comes to, like, fairies as a genre, which is walkshed. So generally, when you have mm -hmm. a bus stop or a train station, right, you're kind of going to have a fairly circular walkshed. That is the area in which people can get to in a by walking in a certain, you know, given time. Like the best walksheds, like places that are considered immediately accessible are going to be like five minutes upper bounds of walksheds for transit, uh, at least as it regards housing, is generally like 15. Mm -hmm. And one of the concerns with ferries is often, well, you're on the water. So, you know, up to like half of your walk shed does not exist and is not populated by anything. That's definitely a little bit of the case with like Cathedral Park. There's not a ton of stuff on the western side of the St. John's Bridge. But when you're looking at, you know, a connections to right along the steel bridge, you know, Old Town is within that walking shed very easily. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at OMSI, well, you have the Tillicum right there. That walking shed is, you know... You get all of that kind of uh, lower OHSU area in there already. Downtown, right? It's going to be right next to, it's going to be you know, in between the Hawthorne and Morrison bridges. So the inner east side is going to still be you know, fairly immediately accessible. So I definitely say that like the concerns that plague ferries as a genre and like transit mod, like mode apply here somewhat. Bitter applies here way less than systems in, like, New York or even Seattle. Like, this is all, like, 
far more eminently walkable and connecting towards destinations on both sides of the rivers than those cities which are you know connecting the edge of a city to an ocean. What are other potential impediments to the operation of the Frog Ferry in Portland's case? So that's a very good question. To start, um, the Willamette is hella dirty. Yeah. On God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's um there's a lot of stuff in the Willamette constantly, and it's not as much like trash as in other cities. I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the Baltimore trash wheel. It's a giant sentient wheel that sits in the river and eats trash. We love him. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, very cute. I mean, at least the Willamette doesn't like set on fire like the I think it's the Cleveland East River or something like that. Yeah, it's it's so we're not Ohio. No. We do have a super fun site. Uh the issue is more there is like big debris. Because the Willamette Valley is very silty and the Willamette, you know, can go up and down in terms of flood stages, trees get washed into the Willamette all the time. So there have been a lot of people who have kind of gone to Frog Ferry and said, like, this is a completely infeasible plan. The Willamette is too full of debris for this to be implemented. And then Frog Ferry went to a manufacturer and was like, hey, is this a concern? And the manufacturer was like, no, like, we can work around this. The Willamette is not the only river in the world that has, like, (laughs) sticks in it. You know. Yeah, lines. and plus, yeah. like boats run on it all the time. If you just look outside within the last week, everybody's on their on their jet boat. Yeah. Now, there's is probably the biggest obstacle right here, and that is going to be bridge clearance. Hmm. So we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about bridge clearance before on our IB episode as it regards boats. That is the distance from the bottom of the bridge to you know the top of the water, and needing to fit under that. Our bridge clearance and Portland is generally across most bridges pretty sizable like the Portland Spirit for example can fit under most of them but we run into one particular bottleneck and that is our beloved our queen uh, the steel bridge yeah okay I get that people love the steel bridge but like it's kind of ugly it's I, historic, Bradley. It, it, yeah. It's I all mean, rusty and like... It's gritty. <laughs> maybe it's, they could they could stand to like repaint it every once in a while. I mean... It's called having character. It is called having character. And plus, I don't know, it reminds me of like... It just kind of exudes industry, you know? <laughs> and you like industry, Bradley. Oh, I love heavy industry vibes. <laughs> so... The steel bridge's lower deck, which carries Amtrak and uh, freight trains across the Willamette onto the west side, has a very, very, very low clearance. It sits just above the river. Um, and while they are willing to open that for you know ships like the Portland Spirit, the idea of having a essentially water taxi service open and close that constantly with slow-moving trains delaying it, and it delaying slow-moving trains, is not desirable. And so a lot of naysayers to the Frog Ferry have basically said, the the bridge clearance is going to be the thing that does you in. Uh, And then they went to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer's like, yeah, no, we can work around that. And it's kind of embarrassing, because I didn't think of it, but it is a fairly elegant solution. Just move the wheelhouse to the same level as the passenger deck. Hmm. So you just have a short boat. Yep. It's under 14 feet. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I was picturing it like actual legit ferry size where you could fit cars on it, but obviously that's probably not conducive to the Willamette waterways. Yeah, no. And so it'd just be foot passengers, but yeah, it's it's even going to be a little bit shorter than some of the other foot passenger ferries that you see, for example, up in Seattle. It's estimated that only five days out of the year it will need to raise the lower deck for the steel bridge. Okay, that's not bad. Could Um, they raise it on those five days? Yes. Okay. So then we we, we got to kind of go on to some of the other issues that we run into with ferries and some of the other more substantial reasons that kind of gave me pause initially about supporting this. One, accessibility. You'll notice if you ever go kind of down on those ramps along the city-owned docks, they can be quite steep, definitely not ADA compliant. The simple fix for that is just make the ramps longer, make them less steep. And then there is the issue of capacity. So we're looking at 70 seated passengers on these vessels at any given time, which is about two buses worth. It's still about a third of the size of the water taxis, again, in like Seattle and some of the water taxi services in New York. And I think that is maybe where like from an urbanist perspective, if you do want to find something to be critical about this project for, uh, you can say, you know, this isn't going to be as high capacity as like a link light rail train set in Seattle. Yeah, honestly, I'm skeptical that only two busloads of people per ferry in circulation with half a dozen other members of the fleet will lead to much difference as of yet. Definitely not in the pilot program, but again, I think the pilot program is just to show that like we have the ability to put this together and we have a team that works. Once you get, you know, an estimated like seven vessels, I think is going to be full build out in the fleet. You do actually start and, and, you know, fairly meaningfully fast speeds on the river. You do eventually start getting like genuinely moving a lot of people. Mm -hmm. What about fare costs? And this is the big one. This is like the thing that was initially like, I'm going to be opposed to this. So right now, TriMet fares are $5 for an all-day pass, $2.50 for one way. And then, of course, it's a little bit lower if you're using the low-income reduced fare program. But generally speaking, we're looking about $2.50 each way. Would you like to guess what Mm -hmm. this ticket price would be? Is it $3.50? You're looking at the notes, Bradley. Maybe. Yeah, it's only going to be three fifty, which is really quite remarkable. And I think if you're someone living in St. John's, um, fairly transformative. You know, for uh, a dollar more, and it's going to be even less of a difference as we continue to see hiking trans- fares on Trimans. And, you know, for uh, just a dollar more or less, uh, your transit time is going to be cut, you know, possibly up to half. Pretty revolutionary. Here's the thing that I think is a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. My original concern was, okay, there are all these federal funds that exist for water transit now that have basically come out of the Biden administration. And that mm-hmm. is really fantastic. Uh, my concern, though, is Joe Biden is not always going to be the president. 
whether that comes in 2024 or 2028 or somewhere in between, the possibility of like a violent swing to the right on transportation issues in the federal government is not just a possibility, but a, a real concern. And so my doomsday scenario for the ferry was essentially that the region buys into something that in 10 years time we're then saddled with. And then I started looking into the financial analysis. The fare box recovery rate, would you like to take a guess as to what it is? Is it 55%? No, you're looking at the notes. <laughs> yes, it's 55%, which is in the world of transit, unbelievable. For those of you not kind of familiar with the nitty gritty details of transit like we are, TriMet's pre-pandemic fare box recovery rate was between 10 and 20% depending on how you're measuring it. Um, they believe even with just a $3.50 fare, um, outright majority of the cost can be recovered at the fare box, which is really exceptional. That is quite impressive. I do have to be skeptical about this though, because that is based on ridership projections. And ridership projections are famously unreliable. When TriMet does it. It's um, unreliable everywhere. I'm a little more inclined, at least, especially for, like, the pilot uh, portion of this. I definitely believe that they can fill up, you know, you know, 20 trips in each direction with 70, only, you know, only 70 people. I absolutely believe that they can do that, particularly given that the transit lines to St. John's as um, lackluster as they are, really are fairly well-written. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the opportunity cost here, right? If this is going to take a significant local subsidy, like if the feds are paying for it, then whatever, right? That's other people's money. I mean, it's our money, but it's other people's money, right? If we don't take the money, it'll go somewhere else. So, like, whatever, the feds pay for it. But if we have to subsidize it ourselves but if we have to come up with like two million dollars a year locally then i'm not 100 percent convinced that two million dollars is best spent on a ferry instead of running more buses getting the bus from st john's maybe establishing an express bus mm -hmm. which does indeed beg the question where is the funding coming from actually is there some kind of designated fund or grant or because it's probably not federal funds right so it would be some federal funds mixed in here mm -hmm. i can definitely in our show notes i can redirect uh, all our listeners to frog fairy's very excellent and in-depth financial analysis <laughs> and you know funding projection if you um, like really dry reading if you like really dry reading, yeah, this is for you. Or just uh, yeah, no, cost so, analysis in general. It's, it, it's fun. Numbers. Yeah. So my original concern was basically, where is the transit? Like, is this going to be uh, a drain on TriMet's very limited pool of funding? And no. Actually, the subsidy for this would actually be coming from the Portland Clean Energy Fund, which, as you know, is one of the few city revenue streams right now that is doing well. In fact, PCEF has overperformed in terms of revenue at a time when, you know, potholes are not getting filled. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, that PCEF money can't be used to fill potholes because, like, the American tax system is ridiculous. It has um, to instead, be spent on things that reduce carbon emissions, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But that doesn't include things like transit build-outs, right? We're looking for a little bit more, like, energy-specific things. In my mind, I think the money should be able to go towards transit, but, like, we're kind of looking for a little bit more narrow of a scope. So with that in mind, from a fund that is doing quite well in terms of revenue, um, a very small subsidy going towards something that could actually be a very well-performing transit artery makes a lot of sense, particularly because the long-term plan at Frog Ferry is to use electric engines. I was wondering about that. Now, to start, it would be using R99 diesel, uh, which is the type of, you know, quote-unquote, renewable diesel that you see TriMet using. The first boat during the pilot program would be on R99, and then once it kind of comes to fruition, a full build-out, and we get dockside charging infrastructure, the diesel engine would be taken out, an electric one would be put in, and then suddenly your operations cost fall very, very, very much. As we know, if you're anyone kind, if anyone listening is kind of a mechanical nerd, you know, it can be very expensive to be running diesel engines. Okay, so my big question here is Portland Clean Energy Fund money, if it can't go toward bus service, why would it be able to go toward ferry service? It is still transit. I definitely agree that I think PCEF is a really good thing. I think Frog Ferry fits very well into its mission. I definitely agree that there is that there is like credible questions to be asked about why is there such a like why is TriMet so restricted in its funding capabilities? And that goes back to things in the Oregon Constitution and TriMet's charter and you know the kind of base legal framework we have around transit in this country. But because this is an entity outside of TriMet, my understanding is PCEF is on the table. So given all this, I'm wondering, are we able to modify existing transportation infrastructure in Portland so we wouldn't even need the ferry? So there is actually a bus that goes between St. John's and downtown, and that's going to be the Line 16. And the travel time on that via you know Highway 30 through the Northwest Industrial District is not bad. It's 25 minutes, so similar to what we'd be looking at with Frog Ferry. It doesn't get you as far into downtown like you know the near the PSU area that Frog Ferry does. And additionally, um, it has such low ridership that TriMet is looking at axing it and essentially um, replacing it with a, a extension of Line 15 in the next few months. Um, that's going to have similar infrequent service. Basically, at any given time of the day, I've kind of you know checked this on the transit planner throughout the times you know with both destinations in mind, downtown and St. John's. It typically recommends one of the lines that goes you know down Lombard, uh, and that's 55 minutes. The current conditions of, of transit to the North Peninsula are not great, and. It's an area that is projected to take a lot of the incoming housing demand in coming decades. 
there's going to be quite a bit of new development in that part of town. And honestly, you know, North Portland is, I think, a can be a, a very desirable place to live. I'd honestly love to see a max extension up to the peninsula because I think, you know, we're, we can be looking at that level of capacity. But uh, getting a max up there, Bradley, how would you, in, in one word, how would you like to describe trying to get uh, a max to St. John's? Expensive. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to quickly go over the three options, right? Basically, all three options for getting a max to St. John's are, like, dependent on multi-billion dollar infrastructure that would take a lot of coordination. One proposal from, you know, Jonathan Conkle was to, like, redevelop the Albina Yards rail yard. I'd kind of like to see that. I know Bradley disagrees with me on that. Bradley likes his industry. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, that would be a very multi-billion dollar redevelopment that would maybe see like a spur of the yellow line go up to St. John's. That is really dependent on Class 1 railroads, which again, as we've discussed, are the level of bureaucracy above God. Another proposal that I kind of came up with would be to take it to the Terminal 2 at the Port of Portland and then take it up over to Swan Island. But that was kind of dependent on the Portland Diamond Project moving forward at that location, which it didn't. They're now eyeing Lloyd Center. Um, for our listeners who don't know about the Portland Diamond Project, what is that? Oh, that is going to, that's just the proposal to bring an MLB team to Portland. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I keep I keep up with I keep up with the sports. Can't you tell? <laughs> I mean, like the the Timbers and the um, and the the Thorns, our soccer team, and the Hillsborough Hops. I know who they are, and the Portland Pickles, of course. But yeah, the MLB teams. That that's that goes over my head. Anywho. Yeah, and then you know the the final proposal would I think probably be the best one in terms of community development. And that would be a cut and cover tunnel under Lombard, which would, you know, ideally in our, you know, Green New Deal utopia come off of like an MLK cut and cover tunnel. No one is proposing that but us, right? This is kind of our <laughs> little fantasy thing. This is, even if we were to start planning of that tomorrow, even if, you know, AOC was ushered into office and like, you know, Bernie became, Bernie Sanders became like the tyrant of sustainability in North America, we're looking at like that kind of project measurable in, in decades, whereas Frog Ferry can have a boat on the water in two years. Now, the final option would be the FXification of the transit lines into St. John's. Hmm. And as we kind now, of now, discussed... We did do a episode about the FXification of the two just yeah, <laughs> that's a service quality improvement that is good and should be done more. But you know, Metro really needs to find a way to bring down that cost and increase the you know transit time saved. Originally, the FX was, as our listeners may remember, promised a twenty percent transit time reduction. That really ended up being more like ten ish. The 16 is not, you know, uh, an alignment that would have anywhere near the type of ridership to call for FXification. Importantly, TriMet hasn't actually proposed doing any of these improvements, right? There hasn't actually been any interest from Metro, from TriMet, to actually improve bus service 
or expand max or do an FXification of a bus line. So, like, yeah, theoretically, a bus would be, like, in my opinion, probably the best route to go, having a good, frequent express bus. But TriMet just doesn't seem interesting. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just not on the table. Unfortunately, we are not in, like, City Skylines builder mode, and we're getting to choose between, you know, the benefits of you know, redoing an entire street grid or bus lanes were kind of dealing with the existing bureaucracies as they are. And the options are kind of like the status quo as it exists now with the understanding it's also going to get even slightly worse for the Line 16 coming up or introducing Frog Ferry. We've talked about the drawbacks. We've talked about alternatives. We haven't quite discussed the benefits. What are those? So the benefits, I think, are, I mean, obviously, we kind of get this fantastic new way to interact with the water, which Frog Ferry has been leaning into very much. Like, we'd be on, we'd be on the water. We'd have transportation on the water. I think that's kind of cool, personally, to a, to a degree, if it's financially feasible, obviously. Yeah, you know, I think people kind of naturally want to be on the water. Yeah, that, that, that speaks to me personally. Like, I, I'm a sucker for a good water feature. If I'm by the river, I'm like, yes, let's go. When it comes to transit, there is a definite mode bias. A, if you have a bus line and a rail line and they are time competitive, like they're the same speed, people prefer a train. Some of that comes down to, like, classism and... But... I mean, it's real. Like, it is a real effect that is measured. I don't remember how big of an effect it is, but people prefer a ferry. People prefer a train. Yeah, and and I think it's, you know, trains are smoother. Trains are more pleasant. Um, you, you at least kind of have the physical sensation of moving a little bit faster than I think you do on a bus, even though that's not, you know, always actually the case. In terms of the question, like, is Frog Ferry going to get people out of their cars? I honestly think so. I think it's going to be competitive with vehicle driving simply because it's you're going to actually be on the water rather than, you know, stuck in traffic on I-5 or even kind of just like slowly meandering down Highway 30 on Line 16. You're going to be on the water getting to see, you know, the kind of city from, I would argue, one of the most beautiful angles. It's going to be bringing shoppers and visitors to parts of portland that i feel like most of the time people aren't able to connect to yeah i mean you like even even i think probably a fair amount of portland citizens don't really go out on the water very much because it's expensive to own a boat it's expensive to ride a jet boat even like i don't know what is it like the spirit of portland spirit i mean we can't afford that but this is yeah. affordable and gets us places I, exactly i also think it would create a reason to go to St. John's for a lot of people. Like, True. I live in Southeast, and I haven't gone up to St. John's in at least at least a year. At least a year. And I only went up there once because I was on a bike ride. Because it's just kind of inconvenient to get to via transit, or even by driving. But taking a boat up there, I think that could be good for St. John's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I live in North Portland in like the Mississippi, Alberta area, and St. John's is still like a 15-20 minute drive for me, so it just kind of speaks to how, how big this city is. 
Well, and I, I feel like, Jenna, going back to your original question, which is, you know, infrastructural, I think the hugest benefit to Frog Ferry is that, yes, you're paying for, you know, a boat, and yes, you're paying for a crew, but other than that, you're pretty much exi- using, you know, naturally existing infrastructure, the water. Yeah. And you also don't get stuck behind, you know, uh, congestions or car wrecks on the water. But generally speaking, like, this is very light infrastructure. Um, and that is not something that you're going to be able to say about a max line, which would be unbelievably infrastructure intensive, or even an FX project, which requires the installation of, in some cases, uh, the completely new installation of a pedestrian corridor. So, at this point, where does the project stand? Right now, it's currently a, a nonprofit organization that is pitching the city to kind of create something as akin to the Portland streetcar, where it's a public benefit corporation, but it still reports to the city. In order to make that happen, it needs to be put on the list of constrained projects for the regional transportation plan. That's metros, the regional government's long-term kind of regional transportation vision. One of the things that is particularly frustrating for me as an avid supporter of Frog Ferry is that, pardon the very intentional pun, uh, it's constantly treading water, right? Institutions, and we'll probably go into this more when we talk about like public-private partnerships as a genre and just the general situation with like particularly around like nonprofits in the homelessness industry, but Institutions have basically created a dynamic where organizations like Frog Ferry constantly need more grants just to keep the lights open and the ideas moving forward, but aren't giving them enough money to actually implement the vision. I think at the end of the day, that ends up costing us more in the long term, right? It's like you're just having to like, give people crumbs to keep good ideas floating, but never actually giving them like, the time of day to implement them. So what really needs to happen now is we need to have like a lot more local attention is needed. And this is a particularly urgent issue because as part of the joint infrastructure bill that the Biden administration passed and some previously existing federal subsidies, there's a lot of federal money for water specific and water taxi funding, but it needs like local matches and it needs that local support. To start, Portland is actually in a really fantastic position to be able to help Frog Ferry get that federal funding. And that's because that in-kind 10% local match that the feds are looking for can simply just be Portland allowing Frog Ferry to use the docks that it already owns. Hmm. It's as simple as just saying like, yeah, you can park here for a couple minutes throughout the day. Very easy. Beyond that, it would need to, you know, of course, be integrated into the Portland Clean Energy Fund. And, you know, I think there are opportunities and it deserves even funding beyond that. It all basically comes back to city council needing to understand that, like, the type of leadership we need right now is not purely reactionary. It's going to be investing in good ideas that support sustainable movement and also, like, revitalizing Portland, right? It takes, like, it is good when government invests in things that is going to make the community better that investment is exactly that, an investment. It has very positive knock-on effects that pay for itself several times over. Right now, we just need, you know, people on city council to and, and, and metro to be able to hear that and internalize that and start working with Frog Ferry 
to implement that. At the beginning of this episode, we kind of checked in and talked about where we all were on this, and I want to do that again. Well, I mean, for my part, I still think that Frog Ferry up to Vancouver or, like, Lake Oswego is silly. It doesn't make any real sense to those places. To St. John's, I'm a little bit more positive toward that. I think that actually makes a fair bit of sense. And if that was just what Frog Ferry was, then I'd totally be supportive of it. But having to go all the way around the peninsula to get to Vancouver is just, it's not a great idea. Well, I I think the thing that's great about a ferry is that it is highly flexible, right? Unlike um, the Max, where if you run it to somewhere that's not going to really serve well, <coughs> the orange line, then you're not stuck with it for the rest of eternity. Yeah, and I don't know, as somebody who, like I said, enjoys being out on the water, but I haven't had the opportunity to do it enough, I, I think it would be, I think it would be pretty great to see how it goes, but maybe adjustments of the route depending on time, depending on like what gets the most and least amount of foot traffic or water traffic, what have you. Yeah, I, I enjoy the flexibility of it and the possibility of it, so I'm slightly more convinced than I was skeptical at the beginning. And with that, that was a podcast. Jenna, Bradley, where can they find us? The people. <laughs> well, the good people can find me on Instagram at jkmdem, J-A-Y-K-A-Y-E-M-D-E-M. Folks can find me on threads, uh, yes, the Zuck platform, at Bradley Bondi. And they can find me on Twitter. I will, I will be there until the very last lifeboat leaves the ship at Xavier D. Stickler. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can do so on prp.fm, as well as Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also be able to find full-length videos with graphics and slides alongside our episodes on YouTube at the channel Greater Greater Portland. For $2 a month, you can help us in our mission of making Portland a better place to live, as well as get access to exclusive written works. And of course, you can listen to us live and in stereo on 99.1 FM, Portland Radio Project, every second and third Sundays at 4 p.m. Thank you for listening. From the Rose City, this has been Greater Greater Portland. Greater Greater Portland.